All right, if you would, be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 145. And as Mark said, this will be the conclusion of our series of the Missio Dei and the Psalms. And uh, what I hope that we have uh, picked up from in terms of the big picture is really the heart of God for mission. And that his, his intent, the, the reason that he sets up a king in Zion is so that the nations would, would be drawn to him and so that every tongue, tribe, and nation would be represented in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and I hope that we've also seen that he's got a, a supreme love for justice and righteousness, which is, uh, as we said, the banks of the river. Um, but oftentimes that is, that is most displayed in, in his love for those who are at the furthest margins, which we should also evidence that. And we've also seen that our redemption, uh, us being called to, to repent and be restored to the Lord our God, is so that we would have a story worth sharing. And that every single one of us does have a story worth sharing with others. And we've also seen that uh, God uh, has said that the church is most blessed. His face most shines upon us when, when souls are being redeemed, when the family is getting larger. And so uh, I hope that what we have seen is that, that this is God's mission. It's not ours. And it does not rest upon us or our shoulders. It rests upon him and his means of grace alone. And he's provided everything that we need. And, and, and this is something that's very, very important, he's invited us in to this eternal and beautiful work. And he's saying, hey, come join me in seeing things, lives change for eternity and things redeemed uh, so that when, when all things are made new, you can take great joy in, in the work of your hands. And so uh, it's not that it rests upon us. So I hope that you have not heard in any way, shape, nor form that it is your responsibility to save the world. It's not. Uh, Christ did that on the cross and through the resurrection and the ascension and his coming again. We'll take care of all that. The question is, how will we participate? What will we have that'll pass through the fire of the new heavens, new earth that can be celebrated and enjoyed? And so this morning, what we're going to see from Psalm 145 is that God's heart is that this mission would be passed on to the generations, both inside the church and outside the church. So the psalm will break up into the first section, verses 1 through 9, speaking to us about our responsibility to the covenant community inside the church. And then verses 10 through 21 will show us uh, the responsibility that we have to the world. Uh, as Charles Bridges, I've uh, been reading this, this, his commentary on Psalm 119, so beautifully says, we owe the world a debt. I don't think we often think that way. Um, and the debt that we owe them is to tell them of redemption so that they could not perish saying, no one ever told me. Uh, and so um, may, may we be responsible with the, the good things that the Lord has given to us into our hands and not carry the burden harder than we should. All right, this particular psalm uh, is the last one attributed to David in the Psalter. There's only five more after it, uh, but it's in acrostic form. Now, what does that mean? It means that it was written with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet starting each one of the lines so that it would be easier to memorize. Now, for those of you who pay very close attention to your Bible, you'll notice that one of those lines is bracketed. Well, it's because the letter noon, uh, um, not N-O-O-N, N-U-N, uh, was missing from the original manuscripts, but they pieced together from some later manuscripts that particular verse, so it is, in fact, there uh, and consistent with the sweep of Scripture. Um, but this is, as some commentary, commentators have called it, an alphabet of praise. It's, it's David alternating between what he's going to do in worship 
and why, which is, has to do with the attributes and character of the Lord our God. So we'll pay close attention to that, that, that call and response between what and why and the challenge to us to love the generation inside the church, the covenant community, and those outside the church. So the question that I have for us, and I think it's an important question because every single one of you is passing on something, right? Whether you think you are or not, you are. You are passing on something uh, either to the children that you have and raise, you're passing something on to them, or even to the people that are in your community, your neighbors, your co-workers, um, the rest of your family. Every single one of us is passing something on. So my question is, what would you most like to pass on to your children or the coming generations within your family? See, it doesn't make sense that if we are in fact passing something on, that we would not be very intentional about what it is that we are passing on. As we've admitted in here, and we live in the suburbs, and we live in the tyranny of the urgent and the stream that is just life that seems to be rushing us along, causing us at times to be far more reactionary than proactive, this is the beauty of the Lord's Day Sabbath. The beauty of worship is it calls us no longer to react, but to be very proactive. And if you're not proactive about what you pass on to the next generation, um, you may pass on, by the law of unintended consequences, some very dark and broken things. And so I want to challenge us this Lord's Day to be, begin to think and begin to talk about and have some vision for what would you like to pass on. Now, Psalm 145 is going to tell us exactly what it is that we should pass on. And in the same way, as we've admitted in here before, um, everyone around you that you work with, every, everywhere you go where you are seen regularly, every single person has an opinion of you. They have something about you that they've noticed and that, 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 that they have, uh, have either judged you for good or ill, or if it comes up, they have something about you that they think they know. In the same way, what do you want to pass on? What kind of opportunities do you want to, to, to give uh, for the gospel to be heard, not maybe even today, but in months that come ahead? So how we live today has an impact when one of our coworkers say, has a key family member pass away and they are in great grief and don't know where to turn. Or their marriage blows apart at the seams and they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to, what to do. All they have is the world telling them uh, either it's nihilism or despair or do what's best for you and don't worry about anybody else, which is contra what we're talking about here this morning. And so what do you want to pass on to them? Because again, you're also passing something on to everybody who knows you. So again, wouldn't it be better for us to be mindful and intentional about what it is that we pass along? So this morning, Psalm 145, the main key truth that I hope that we'll walk away with is that we, uh, we should, we are commanded to declare the glory of God and his mighty acts to both the coming generations in the church and those of the world and not because of anything within us, not because of anything within them, but because of his redemptive goodness. And so if you would uh, listen to what Derek Kidner says about this uh, verse as we begin. He says, so ends David's contribution to the Psalter on a note of praise, which is wholly his own, yet as wide as mankind and as unfading as eternity. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word. This is Psalm 145 verses 1 through 9. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. 
Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They will speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So David begins here with with a very quick what and why combination. So verses one and two are the what, what he's going to do. So he says, I will extol you. Now, extol, when's the last time any of you used the word extol just in regular conversation? And if you did, you're just awesome. Uh, that's not normal. But what it really means is to sing praise or, or to, uh, to worship. So he's saying, I will sing praise to you, my God. I will worship or I will extol you, make known uh, in the congregation, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. So what is causing him to pour forth in praise is the reality that he is in the Lord's presence every single day. To do that forever and ever and to do it every day is to, is to begin with the recognition, I am in the Lord's presence. Now, is David uh, utopiatic in the totality of his thinking? Are there not Psalms that say, where are you, Lord? So let's not read this as um, uh, Joel Osteen type theology where every day is just happiness. It's not. Sometimes the darkness blows in. Sometimes we lose sight. We lose the thread. Sometimes we are just overwhelmed as the psalmist teaches us, as David himself teaches us. But what is true, what is promised, what is unchanging is that the Lord is present in it all, whether or not we sense or see him. And so David is able to break forth in praise and promise to extol the Lord his God in the congregation because he knows that what the Lord has promised in terms of being present with his people, it is true. And then he gives us the why. Notice what he says. The why that he does that, because great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And that's not something that he's saying arbitrarily. Think about all that David has been through. Think about what we've talked about, how uh, the backdrop for Psalm 51 was this just heinousness of his sin in which he murdered people, had people murdered, not just Uriah, but an entire group of men. And he lied, and he broke the covenant, and he broke the covenant with, with Bathsheba, and it cost their firstborn his life. And it rent the kingdom in two, ultimately costing many more people their lives. Sets Absalom loose like a madman. And yet, David recognizes that even that, even the gravity, the depth of his sin, could not eclipse the heights of God's mercy. And amen. That's not cheap grace. And so great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness, even more, is unsearchable. If we could mine the depths of God's grace, which is interesting that there's a passage in Job that is much debated where it talks about mining the earth for all its minerals and all stuff. It really is ultimately saying you cannot, the depths of the Lord are unsearchable, which is why we get an eternity to take great joy in all that is true of our Lord. That's why it's going to take that long because it's unsearchable. And so here he's saying, God, you are so good that you are worthy of my extolling. Now he goes back again to the what 
when he says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We have a responsibility to make sure that the coming generations in the church know this truth about God, that he is, he is great and he is greatly to be praised. And if we don't do it, who do we think is going to? The world is going to, but they're not going to teach them this. They're going to teach them something far more distorted and broken and untrue. They're going to teach them that, no, you, you are your own God. You get to decide who and what you are. In fact, you can repeal creation in your very flesh. No, that's not what we should be teaching them. What we should be teaching them is that this God who loves them, that, that what he confessed about himself, which David quotes here from Exodus 34, 6, and 7, this great confession that the Lord, the Lord our God is steadfast in love, slow to anger, merciful, forgiving to thousands upon thousands of generations, and yet he is just not allowing sin to continue, but to the third and the fourth generation. This is worth teaching our children. And here's what's really important, and sometimes I think what we miss, if we're not careful. I think we probably do a fair job of teaching them what's on paper, right? Kind of catechizing or, or what's the basic answers of these things. But where I think we fail is actually sharing with them the actual played out, lived out, enfleshed truth of these things. We don't often tell our kids our own redemptive stories. We don't often welcome them in to the praise of God's provision. Just like this morning, what Mark was saying is that one of the beautiful things that we as elders have been able to do is we've been working from surplus. Thank you, and praise God who provides. And in the same way, your children someday are going to have to figure out a budget and going to have to figure out the world, how to live in the world and all these kinds of things. Wouldn't it be very important for them to first, before they figure out the mechanics of a budget, that they would know and have experienced and have witnessed the provision of the Lord our God so that when they approach it, they approach it with praise first and foremost, right? And not just that, but that, that we, would, we would help them to see how we navigate relationships. Do, do kids have relationship problems still these days? I don't know. I'm off Facebook, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Right? And so how are they going to navigate those relationships if, all, if it's left to them to try to take this thousand plus page book and find the answer in there somewhere, whereas you can equip them and help them to see by how you interact with your own family. This is where it gets muddy, doesn't it? Because you've got some family members, and you may be one of them, who make it tough at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And how are you navigating that in such a way that reconciliation is what is most upon your lips and heart? Or do they hear you and see you, see Aunt Myrtle at Thanksgiving, and you're so sweet to her, to her face. And as soon as Myrtle walks off, venom drips from your lips as you decry her very existence. You think your kids aren't paying attention to this? Do you think that the same rule of gossip doesn't work in your family as outside your family? I don't have any inclination that any of you is wrestling with that this morning, so if you feel pierced, that's Holy Spirit, not Cameron. Uh, but, but we all have it, don't we? Now think about the same thing with the church. And listen, this, my hands are stained with this blood. 
When you go home and you talk about the church and you complain and you, you say what you say instead of supporting and building up because you are the church. When you complain and you tear down the church, it is you who you tear down, not just the, the rest of us, not the PCA, not Christ Community Church. You are tearing down not only you, but the next generation because they're soaking it in. And I know this all too well because when my kids went off to college and began to look for a church, the very words that I said, the very complaints that I had, the very uh, vitriol that I spewed came flying back at me. And I wish I had better equipped them to be architects and constructionists and not just wicked little deconstructionists. So it is important that we are considerate of the next generation um, and that we are mindful of building them up. It's like we talked about last week. Equip them to understand the liturgy of this church. Help them to understand what each of the elements are. It would be good for them to memorize some of these things, right? Teach them that one of the reasons that we sit down, when we sit down, there's a reason we rise when we rise. We, notice we didn't stand for the announcements. Now, does that mean the announcements don't matter? No, those are opportunities for the church to get involved. But we rise when the Lord calls us to worship. Now, why don't we, we do call response and the call to worship? Because we want to hear from God. It is God who speaks to us first. And then we respond in the song of praise that we sing next. It'd be good for our children to know that. And then we sit after the assurance of pardon has been spoken over us. And we've sung the song of praise back to Jesus because of the assurance of pardon. Now you can sit because the work is finished on your behalf. So it's not even just arbitrary what we're doing with our bodies. It's not like, ah, I think we've been standing long enough. I guess we'll sit down now. We've tried to think these things through, right? And so if your kids understand that, that begins to become part of who they are. And then when they do look for a church, they can look for some of these things. They'd be better than just your average consumer. I mean, they'll, they'll want thickness and meat and not just milk and frivolity. And so it is our duty to train them up. And you may say, well, I, that's a parent's job. And you're right, it is the parent's primary job in, in many respects, but it's also the church's job too. So what are some of the ways in which we actually can participate and do this? Many of you are doing it by serving in children's ministry and thank you. Yet, yet another place that we don't spend a lot of our time pulling our hair out. As you can see, I don't have much left to give, uh, and I'm trying to hang on to what I have for all it's worth. Uh, we don't have to worry a lot about our children's ministry because you guys have been so faithful to serve, right? We have the confu periodic confusion once in a while, right? But on the whole, we don't run on some sort of supreme deficit. Now, we're not running an extreme surplus either on this. We're running it right about level, and thank you. And other ways in which you, you can help serve our children is how you treat them, by the way. If you treat them as a nuisance, like say, I don't know, one of them sitting somewhere near you, and they're a little vocal. What's, what's worse than hearing the lively voice of a child? I know it's worship. But we can get through. I can get louder. Whatever you guys need. But let's not make the children feel like they're unwelcome. And we'll have an opportunity again this summer. We're going to let 
uh, in, in true uh, Jubilee principle, uh, kindergarten and first and second grade rest for the summer for two whole months, and then they'll come back. So they'll be in with us. And so how are we going to treat them? Are we going to help them? Or how about the mom who's got four kids with her and dad's up here singing or doing something else? And, and how, how do we help out there? Do, do you know their names? You know what it means to have an adult call you by name? And not squirt or champ or whatever it is. So let's be mindful of the children who are in our midst, because as we've said before, this is our largest mission field. And if we deny it, what good are we? And for those of you who are like, I'm just kind of grumpy, I don't really like kids. Well, pray for them. Right? Pray for their salvation so you won't be so grumpy. Pray for their, pray for their parents. Pray. Uh, it's a powerful thing. We, can, we need to all be participating. None of you have the liberty. Hear me rightly. None of you have the liberty to not care about the next generation. You do not have the liberty. And so you, you cannot hide behind, I just, I, I just really don't like kids. Uh, I think we're overpopulated. I, I think this, that, and the other, whatever. You cannot hide behind these ideas because the next generation is a real gift to us. And we need to treat them as such, uh, although the, sometimes they make it a slight bit hard, uh, as I have experienced as a parent. And so he says, notice what he says. This is beautiful, this, what, what David gets into. He says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. So part of how we love the next generation is us being uh, versed in Scripture. The more literate, the more applicatory we are in the things of Scripture, the more we actually look like Jesus. Don't you think that benefits the next generation? And think about how it affects uh, when, when churches split. Does it not affect the children? When, when there's, there's infighting going on, do you not think it affects the children? Do you not think that they don't sense and feel this animosity? We don't have any, by the way, so please don't hear me like, oh, Cameron's spilling tea up there. No, I'm not. Uh, we don't have that right now, but we don't want it either. Because it matters to them too. And oftentimes, the next generation of those who will reject radical anti-theist style, as I did, it is often rooted in some church fight somewhere. But the Lord is greater than that, as I am evident standing here. Don't get me wrong. But I also don't want to have to answer to him for having pushed them out for some season. And so, he goes on to say, and, he, and he, what he's saying is, they're going to call and we're going to respond. So he says, they will speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. So he's welcoming this next generation in to worship. He's welcoming them to join in the chorus of praise of the great God who is all deserving of such. And so we must train them up. We must invite them in. We must be welcoming to them in this space. I sent you last week... The, the charts that we use to help kind of understand the flow of our service. I, I hope you all received that. If you didn't, send me an email and I'll make sure you get it. Uh, and it's just a helpful way to do it. I'm going to send you a letter this week uh, to walk you through just some things that you can, you can talk to your children about the different aspects of our liturgy just to, just to cue you. You all are smart enough and probably don't need it, but I don't want you to not have it if it could help you. And in addition to that, I'm going to start doing that for every single sermon series. Just like I'll stand up here every single time a sermon series starts and walk us through our liturgy, I'll start sending you that same information. 
So again, we will be without excuse in many respects. And so we want to make sure you're resourced. And if there's something else you need that you're like, hey, I just need help. I, I don't know what to do. Talk to us. We want to help. Because we want the next generation to pour forth the fame of the abundant goodness of God and sing aloud of his righteousness. Amen? All right, and then he gives the why. Again, as we said earlier, he's quoting Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the most quoted verse in the Old Testament. And again, if there's a verse that you ought to memorize and then have your children memorize, it's Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It's the confession that God makes of himself. That should be fast upon our lips because it is so beautiful in what it says. He doesn't give the full confession here. It's partial. He actually gives a fuller explication later on in this psalm as he breaks it down in application. But recognize that it's, it's God's goodness that warrants all of this. His steadfast love, his mercy, his grace, it warrants all of this. Listen to what Donald M. Williams says about this passage. He says, David does not praise Yahweh in isolation. As an existential man, he joins past worshipers and shares the responsibility of bringing up the next generation to know God and to submit to him. The fact that this psalm stands before us witnesses to his executing this responsibility and to the continuing responsibility which we share with him. We say this often. The fact that we are gathered here this morning is evidence of the faithfulness of the saints before and even more importantly, the faithfulness of God to not let his covenant people go. And what would we like to see in terms of, of not just the growth of this church, it's not just about Christ Community Church, but the kingdom itself. Are we passionate about seeing this, this, this kingdom grow, that the Lord would be praised more and more and more? Again, it doesn't take but a quick reading of the news to recognize something is wrong, and it's been wrong since East of Eden. It's been wrong since the fruit was taken. It's been wrong since Eve misquoted God. And so, what are we offering to the next generation? So the question I think you should ask yourself are what are some of the ways that you're commending the Lord's mighty works to the church's coming generations? A minimum, we all can pray. And if you need a list of the names of the children in general or uh, maybe you just get to know a family and pray just for their kids. I, I, don't, I don't care how big, how broad, how long you do it, but it should be something that every single one of you who claims to be a Christian does on a regular basis, that you would pray for the children of this church in the coming generation. Turn back to the text. Let's look at verses 10 through 21. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and, and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in their season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his words, works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. 
and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So again, David gives us the what, that, that everything that has breath should praise the Lord. And we saw that from last week where creation joins in this chorus of praise. So David is saying, let everything essentially that has breath give thanks to the Lord because it is he who sustains them. But again, he's talking about worship and he speaks of they being that, that the coming generation would also, within the church would also participate in calling out to the generation that is outside the church. Right? So that all the children of men would hear and know the truth of the glory of our God his mighty deeds, notice what it says that they should know. The Lord's mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of his kingdom. Again, for any of you who engage, those who don't believe, if you just go up and say, hey, I just wanna, I just wanna share with you the glorious splendor of God's kingdom. Uh, those words may not mean a whole lot on the front end, but you've got, to declare, you've got to be able to specify what is that? What does that look like for you? Day in and day out. What does it look like for God to be faithful? We can't just say, hey, God is faithful. Declare it. How would you declare it to those around you that don't know? People are interested in, in, in getting to know and to be known, right? And so we have a wonderful opportunity to not just lob things at people, but genuinely get involved in their lives and speak into and declare these things with power. Because remember what we heard last week, the Lord reigns. Amen? Because if he doesn't, and even David declares that here, he said his kingdom is ongoing forever and ever. And what that means for us, that the fact that his dominion is set, is that we have the freedom to operate not as ones who fear and not as ones who are arrogant because we didn't set up this kingdom, but we can operate as ones who know our God is faithful. So even if you are spurned, even if you are persecuted, it is for the Lord's glory. I think of the story of a Romanian priest who was beaten almost to death by a group of thugs. And then, as so often happens in communist and uh, socialistic regimes, the very thugs who did the work for them, they wound up in jail too. And the man who had almost beat this priest to death wound up in the same cell with him as the priest was dying. And he was so affected by the faithfulness of this priest, and the priest forgave him on the spot. And, and this man became a Christian and was able to, once he was freed from prison, he was actually able to survive, became a purveyor of the gospel to others. So even, and I'm not saying, now listen, every one of you are like, I don't want to get beat half to death. Me neither, as it turns out. <laughs> but the Lord can use even that. We spend too much of our time in fear and thinking about what man thinks or what woman thinks or what somebody else thinks and what God cares most about. So David is saying we have a responsibility. This, again, is not something that you can opt in or out of. Just as it is every single Christian in this room's responsibility to declare to the next generation the glory of God, it is also every single Christian's responsibility in this room to declare this to the generations outside the church. Now, I know what a lot of you just heard, being that 80% of you are introverts. And I've said this before, I am not saying that you have to go track bomb. I am not saying that you have to get a bullhorn and tell everybody they're wrong, or turn or burn, however you want to frame that. That's not what I'm saying. Every single one of you has relationships with people who don't know God. Why? Because God is faithful to put you in those relationships. Because he longs to draw people to himself. 
Now, the key is, how do you leverage what you currently have instead of trying to add something to it? Begin by praying, right? Every introvert knows how to pray because it's an internal language, right? And so you don't even have to do it out loud. Or when anybody hears you, God can hear you. And what you should be praying is, Lord, grant me opportunity. I, I, I know this is my responsibility, but I, be honest. I don't know how to do it. I don't, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't know. But you, God, are good and provide everything necessary. Confess the goodness of God. And I know what many of you think is, is you're like me. If I just don't say nothing, then, then he'll just leave me alone. Or you go even better. If I'm just about sorry as mess, God ain't going to use nobody sorry as mess. Have you read the Bible? Sometimes he comes harder after the people who are sorry as mess or mediocre. Maybe you're shooting for lukewarm. Remember how that ends, right? So instead, let us join the work of the Lord as he has commanded, using the very means of grace that he has given to us because of his eternal reign and dominion. Amen? And so... Here he says, let us declare these things, and beautifully he takes and expands. Now, I want you to think about these things, and I want to encourage you to take this passage, uh, this Lord's Day Sabbath and in the days ahead, and, and read back over these things and try to think through the people that are around you as he is describing what the Lord does, and ask yourself, do I know anybody who needs to hear this? Let me walk through. He says, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Do you know anybody who needs to hear that? Because again, as we look at the world, tell me of all of the world leaders, if you've read any biography ever, which of them is utterly clean and trustworthy? Hearing none, I shall move on kind in his works. Who doesn't need to hear that? I mean, think of all of the, the pantheon of gods that are available to us. Which one of them can be called kind in his works? Actually, none other than the Lord our God. And, and the world needs to hear that because what they're hearing is, no, you've got an Old Testament God that Jesus the Son has to step in because God's all angry and going to kill a bunch of people. And Jesus is like, dad, cool out, man. I got this, you know, pour it out on me and, and saves the world. Right. And, and so what they end up with is a fatherless, godless Christianity, if it can even be called such. And so as we've talked about many times, no, it is, remember this, it is God who sends Jesus so whatever have problems you have with the Father, you must have with the Son. And we've seen where there is grace abundant in the Old Testament. Are there some passages that are problematic? Yeah, there are. And they require a good bit more study and humility from us. It's like I talked about before when I read that book on infinity. I understood about 10% of it, but here's the great thing about infinity. It exists within the 10%. So did I understand it in full? Who knows? <laughs> but the thing is, you can't say, I can't read a book on infinity and, and understand 10% of it and go, yeah, hey, yeah, I got, I got it. I got it from here. Just lots and lots of numbers everywhere. Just can't unending. All right, got it. It's like my son one time said, somebody was, we were playing this horrible game called Apples to Apples, but it was the Bible edition. I repent in dust and ashes. And, uh, and somebody threw in the card, I think he had like mystery, 
And one of our friends threw in Trinity thinking they had won outright, and he didn't pick it. And Christy was like, what? What? He goes, three and one, that's easy. It's not a mystery. Uh, <laughs> I put him on restriction for a year, I think. It's terrible. But my point is, is that we're, we're talking about eternity, life and death. And so it requires a good bit of humility from us and a good bit of study from us and a good bit of recognition that you're not going to master it because you read a little bit, bit of it for one month, one time. As so many who I talk to say, I just don't believe that. So, well, how much effort have you put into it? Well, I mean, you know, I watched Jimmy Swaggart one time. I don't know. You can't know. That's not okay. That's like saying uh, you, don't, you, 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 you have disregarded physics uh, because you, you watch some Bill Nye the Science Guy kid stuff, right? You, you, can't, you can't treat it that way. And so this requires our humility. This requires our study. But most importantly, what it requires is that we recognize that God is unchanging. And the world needs to hear that because everything they have access to is, a, 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 just, it is sand that gets swept away all the time. You have neighbors all around you, family members all around you, who feel swept away periodically. They need to know that the Lord is faithful in all his words and he is kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Do you know anybody who needs to hear that, not just the words, but the explication of that from you, the, the support of that from you, the evidence that that is true because you abide with them. That you as a representative of the Lord, as an ambassador of reconciliation, will walk with them through the valley of the shadow of whatever death has blown in on them. You know anybody that needs to hear that? He also says, the eyes of all who look to you and give them their food in due season, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Do you know anybody that needs to know that God is the great provider and that, that all good things come from his hand and that the righteous don't go begging bread? And that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, it is his mercy and kindness that any of us have anything at all. You know anybody who needs to know that the Lord is the great provider of all things, redemption most of all. And we could go on. And so what I want you to do, like I said, is take these and pray through each of the descriptions, the whys that Paul, I'm sorry, David gives that really is him taking Exodus 34, 6, and 7 and expanding it and, and making it even a bit more practical. And you make it even more practical and personal as you think it through as it relates to these things. And be praying, Lord, of the person I know who needs this, would you provide opportunity? Now, if you're going to do that, you need to be faithful and follow through. And see what the Lord would do in terms of blessing us. See what the Lord would do in terms of of, of just redeeming and, and engaging those who are outside the church who so desperately need to hear this. Because if we, if we are unwilling to share it with them, what does that tell them about its applicability and its truth? It says it's neither. That we're just whistling past the graveyard and this is what we have chosen. But he makes sure that we not forget that he will judge the wicked. There is a time coming when sin must be purged from the earth for things to be made new. Uh, everybody doesn't just get in. It's not universalism. There is a cost. 
And so that should give us some measure of unction and urgency and fire within our own bones to share with those around us. And then he closes again by saying and promising that he will speak the praise of the Lord and he calls for all flesh to bless his holy name forever and ever. So listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about this portion of the text. He says, God's glorious deeds ought to be known to all mankind. But yet few reckon such knowledge to be an essential part of education. As the state cannot teach these holy histories, the people of God must take care to do it themselves. The work must be done for every age, For men have short memories in reference to their God and the doings of his power. Now, we see this in in biblical times. How often do the good king generations not last? They just don't last for long at times, so people are quick to forget. So we must be faithful again and again and again with each generation to take and, and preach the gospel afresh and make sure it is before them. And the world is utterly uninterested in this message. You understand? They don't want for this to be put forward. In fact, uh, um, they would rather it be stamped out. Most countries in the world won't allow it. And that number is growing as we speak. And so the question is, will we be the ones who have been given the responsibility to be ambassadors of reconciliation? And let me ask you this. Would you want this being taught as just mere literature or mythos? Or would you want it to be taught in spirit and in truth? Now, for some of you are thinking, did, did Cameron just say we should only homeschool? That's not what I just said, actually. But I did say it is the responsibility of every parent to teach their child to worship and to teach their child the scriptures. It is the responsibility of every member of this church to do the same and, and to participate in that and to cover every one of our children in prayer as well as those outside the church. You may say it'd be much more efficient if we did it this way and that there may be some truth in that, but God's done the scattering. And we are in all different places and so let us take and use the tools that we have where we are. Uh, for the glory of the Lord and for the generations that are coming. So what are some ways that you are declaring the Lord's redemptive deeds to the world's coming generations? Maybe you're doing this directly, right? Maybe you're participating in some way, shape, or form in education. Um, Maybe you are in some way, shape, or form um, supporting someone who's in education. Uh, We also do this when we support missionaries through Faith Promise. When we support the campus ministries that are here, we are trying to ensure that the next generation is not just hearing Bart Ehrman's take on the New Testament, which he'll be here this coming Wednesday uh, at KSU. There'll be a debate of some sort with he and someone else that I don't know. Uh, but, But he shouldn't be the only voice they hear. And so, so when we support campus ministries, when we support missionaries, when we support um, uh, church plants, we are supporting in some measure that the, the coming generations outside the church can hear the gospel. So that's one way. So you can do that by giving, but also remember prayer. You should be praying for these generations. So often we, our horizon is so narrow and it need not be. And I'm here to tell you that generational sin is a real thing. I worked in Pleasant Hill, a neighborhood which was the only place where African-Americans could live in Macon. And, it, and, and the sin that had crept in was generational. It was deep, and the roots were horrific. 
There was nothing but despair. No one had hope because they had seen for generations what poverty and sin and brokenness can do. So we have an opportunity to lay the axe to the root of the right tree and point them to the truth of the gospel so that they could have life and life more abundant over time. And think about how things can change. And think about how good our Lord is and how he takes a long view and how he's, Peter tells us he's patient. He tarries not because he's not coming, but he tarries because he loves, because he wants the family to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And this too, we can be patient with, but join in the work of. So what are you doing? Again, let me say this. None of us has the liberty to not care about these two things. None of us has the liberty to not participate in these two things. You actually already are whether you know it or not. Now the question is, are you doing it intentionally and thoughtfully or mindlessly? That's the real question. And any way that we can help you in this and have further conversation and walk through what this would look like for you, please come talk to us. Don't just shove your light under a bushel or just go, yeah, see, that's Cameron. He's all the time telling us stuff we got to do. I mean, why do we pay this guy? Uh, for that. Uh, So Psalm 145 teaches us two things. That because of God's redemptive goodness, we should commend the Lord's mighty works to the church's coming generations. And secondly, that we should declare the Lord's redemptive deeds to the world's coming generations. Again, non-negotiable. And as I pray, I want you to be uh, praying with me as well. And again, take time. This Lord's Day Sabbath, and in the days ahead to process and work through these things. If you're in a small group, this is what you guys will be talking about, hopefully. Um, and and we, can, we can work through this and grow as a church in reaching the generation inside the church and those outside the church to the glory of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that someone was faithful in doing this, which is why we're here. There are those of us who were outside the church like myself. I am not a covenant child. But there were people who were so faithful to not uh, allow me to go through life without hearing the truth and the beauty of the gospel. I have to give thanks for Gwen, who was so adamant in telling me, the Lord, uh, boy, God loves you. And someday when you turn, it's going to be from Saul to Paul. And I didn't know what that meant then. I'm not even sure I know what it means now in Toto. But I do know this, I now know that the Lord does love me and that I am his in union with Christ. May we be faithful as Gwen was to even so simply state the truth, the truth of God's love for his people. May we also be faithful for those who are covenant uh, kids who, who, who are now adults, who understand what it means for them to be in union with Christ, for them to have acted upon their baptism uh, for 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 the truth of all that is in that sacrament to be applied to them. I thank you that there were those who were faithful, Sunday school teachers and parents and preachers and elders and deacons and friends and family who were faithful so that we could be here this morning to praise and worship you because great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Regardless of what we feel, regardless of how we came in here, That's still true, and we being here is evidence of the miracle of your faithfulness. May we do the same for another generation 
even if they don't know any of our names. May it be that we in heaven would see the fruit of our labor. In Christ's name, amen.